0: Fall 20 feet, straight down, and I land on my spine on a rock. Hello!
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Bad Times Good Stories Podcast. I hope you are doing dandy. Just swell, just golly chucks, I'm having a swell, fine, great week. I know I am. Um, I'm excited to get to today's episode with Rama Valari, a very funny uh, comedic performer and voiceover artist, improviser, all of it, he is talking, uh, boy, he's had a a pretty impressive run of shitty injuries that have happened to him pretty much his whole life. And uh, we pretty much just get a life tour of all of those instances, or at least the highlights, or lowlights, I guess you could say. Uh, So, you know, as somebody who falls on my bad ankles all the time and curses those, After this conversation, uh, it could be a lot worse. So, uh, yeah, not just the injuries that happened, but then sort of the fallout from those or why they happened in the first place. We kind of dive into all of it. And, um, you know, as I say, oftentimes with this show, uh, Rami kind of came out the other side and um, I think has improved his life because of all these horrific... Shitty times. So I hope you enjoy it. I know that I did. Um, Just a reminder, the horror film that I co-wrote, The 27 Club, is now available on demand nationwide wherever you get on demand things. iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, uh, the cable on demand. So if you still have the cable, it should be there under movies. Um, It's been cool to to hear what people think and uh, that they enjoyed it. And uh, plenty of people have told me they haven't enjoyed it, so uh, thanks for telling me. (laughs) But uh, myself and and Patrick Fogarty, we put a lot of work into it, and I'm just glad that it's out there in the world. It feels good to have my first real movie out there for consumption. So I hope you enjoy it, and uh, if you enjoy this podcast, give us that five-star rating. Thank you to Emo Lord BVB for the uh, nice review. It always makes me feel good to know people enjoy the show, and uh, so thank you, Emo Lord. Much appreciated. You can email me at bad at gmail.com and uh, share any shitty bad times you've been through that might make for a good story. If they do, then I'll read them on the air. And uh, you can always check out badtimesgoodstoriespod.com for past episodes. Merch and a link to the Patreon page, so to, so that you may support this fine endeavor that I am on. That's all I've got for now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Rama Valor.
0: What's your favorite dive bar? You LA? uh, know, <laughs> there are two. Okay, there are two. Bordner's sentimentally because that's the bar that all the Second City people go to okay. or we did for the longest time it was like our cheers and the other is the Frolic Room oh the Frolic Room is, is more of a more of a hallway than a, than a yes, bar yes it is but I think it's fair to say now that mm-hmm. there was a time when I would parade in there with a group of co-workers mm-hmm. on a weekday yeah around one o'clock nice we got to know the bartender very well mm-hmm. um and the, the barflies, they loved us. Yeah. Learned so much from these old men at the bar that I never want to be one of them. Sure. But, man, they loved us. They <laughs> Look at these guys. They're just ducking out of work and drinking whiskey and beers in the frolic room with us. Like, <laughs> yep, that's us. And then one day we just stopped going, which uh, was around the time that I left that job. Huh? Yeah. And well, we... now they say, I wonder where they are. I wonder where they is. <laughs> one of them might be in Thailand with his, with his wife. Might have come back. In, fascinating guy. Jazz musician. Has seen everything. Yeah. There was a guy who used to tell us about the notorious sex club events that would happen in the back room of the frolic room in the 60s. He had oh. been there ever since. There's, <laughs> he's like, you guys don't know. Hey, Frank Sinatra used to come here with <laughs> eight women and they would go to that back room and it was just filthy. <laughs> like, Were you in there? Yeah filthy <laughs> let me tell you i got stories like i bet you do there's a hirschfeld on this wall of all the <laughs> people who potentially could have been here at some points and we're there with these hawaii shirt hawaiian shirt wearing like jimmy buffett almost fans and then next door is the pantages we're right. seeing everybody in suits right and trying to trying to have a good time seeing legitimate theater mm-hmm. broadway in los angeles oh yes and next door is the sticky floor <laughs> den of iniquity <laughs> that's poorly lit and wonderful yeah he's really wonderful shout out to abby
1: there you go abby he's a
0: bartender there i assumed mm-hmm. that'd be funny if abby had no relation
1: to the frolic room whatsoever yeah and there's
0: a <laughs> the guy who works the door um i believe his name is steve and he looks like a young stephen king oh good guy never oh. checks our ids anymore because he knew us too well he's like hey guys <laughs> welcome 11 in the morning early for you yeah
1: <laughs> sure is. what a day it's been already <laughs> well um so you've uh tried to figure out how to segue from the frolic room to your many life injuries <laughs> you ever get injured at the frolic room no no no, no oh no, well I, I hear that you've been injured elsewhere
0: i've how's that <laughs> look this uh this podcast is all about uh Bad times and good stories, is that that what it's called? Yep. Now, injuries are fascinating. Mm -hmm. You never know when they're going to come. No. If you did, you wouldn't get hurt. Right. Now, I am a magnet for injuries. Okay. Despite my best efforts to not injure myself, (laughs) I somehow find ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any day of the week, I I could get hurt. And there are a few key injuries that we can talk about here that will really highlight a wide range of embarrassing scenarios, potentially, that could happen to anyone, Mm -hmm. but all happen to me. Okay, So, buckle up. Buckle up. We'll begin at the beginning. (laughs) The first significant injury that I can remember, and I don't even remember it completely, because it's shrouded in mysteries and lies. Okay. Is around 1991, 1992. South suburbs of Chicago, southwest suburbs of Chicago, Lombard, Illinois, in the basement, uh, running around with my brothers, both older than me, one two years and one five years older than me. Okay. And from my recollection, mm-hmm. which is completely shaped by them telling me what happened, which, as the brother two years older than me on and said, is uh, a bunch of lies, <laughs> I was being chased around the basement, running around a support beam, and I slipped and fell onto a pile of Legos and had a hairline fracture in my arm. Ugh. Now I remember this as I was running and was running on the side of my foot to uh. really shorten the amount of distance it would take to get around this to get away from my oldest brother. Okay, fell, broke my arm. It happens. So you fall yeah. down and break your arm. Sure. He tells me that they broke my arm. Oh, they. Now I don't you. remember how. Okay. Uh, and i still don't remember any of it how oh, old then, were you uh, like five six okay. years old now. Right. um yeah so 99 sometime between 92 and 93 i think okay uh, so my arm breaks i go and sit at the foot of the stairs and i'm holding on to it because it hurts my dad hears it comes down asks what happened they say i fell on this Lego and broke my arm he was not pleased about that because he knew that that couldn't be the answer because both my parents are doctors at the time my dad was a doctor my mom was about to go back to medical school uh, so there i was and i had this wonderful cast on my arm oh, great and there there's where it started now okay. i have no idea how it really happened and honestly it doesn't even matter how no. it happened so <laughs> it first significant injury broken forearm okay um Go forward. Here's another really dumb injury. Okay. Now, this one is 100% my fault. Okay. In high school, is sophomore, English class. Shout out to Bill Campa, wherever you may be. Walk in, I have a stack of books in my hand. And you know how big books in high school are. Yes. Everybody you know somehow develops back problems or scoliosis. Mm-hmm. I'm walking in, having a grand old day, right hand filled with books, holding it up like a waiter. I get to my desk. I turn that stack over as I'm sitting down to slam it onto there. Uh-huh. Gravity does what it does. The yes. books leave my hand and start going down, but my ring finger follows it. Oh. And goes straight down and Oh. So it's fun. This is this finger basically looks like it's made out of rubber. Oh, yeah. And uh, nothing you can do really about a broken finger. You know, kind of hope it doesn't hurt anymore. Sure. Uh, And I played violin, so I just okay. Well, (laughs) let's let's just wrap this up. That was painful. Yeah, Yeah, and when it happened, I was like, "Mm." okay, (laughs) that's a thing. Yeah. Now the big the big injury that really set off a chain of events that I still have not been able to stop to this day. (laughs) Okay. This one I can be legitimately proud of. Okay. I was on the tennis team. We're in a tournament. I was playing doubles. I was playing net. I'm. Six six one, my teammate and partner was he's like five five, <clears throat> short guy. Yeah. So he'd play baseline. Mm-hmm. I'd play net, which you'd think would be the opposite, but yeah, I had more lateral agility and could jump higher and cut it off. Yeah. So you had athleticism. He did I not. jumped for a jump smash. Yeah. Was too busy looking at where I was going to hit it. And where it was going to land and watching the follow through that I didn't watch how my leg went Uh when I landed. So I landed on my right leg. It buckled pretty bad. Yeah. But I kept playing because the adrenaline kicked in. I didn't feel it. Yeah. Trainers tell me you have plantar fasciitis. They wrap my foot and say, go ahead and run. We play hard court. (laughs) So I'm running for months on what was a hyperextended knee. Oh, uh, that's great. So months later into the next year, actually, uh, we're, we're having a practice. We're about to take a week off. I think it was spring break or something. And I get up and my right knee just completely gives out. Ugh. I just stood up from something and my knee just went out. Yeah. It was, didn't know what, what happened really. And so I go to the doctor and, He looks and says, your knee is just filled with scar tissue. Look, there's evidence of tears here, here, and here, your cartilage. (laughs) So your solutions to this are either you do surgery. Yeah. uh, Which likely means you'll have to do more surgeries. You can take cortisone shots, which means you'll have to keep taking cortisone shots. Or you do physical therapy. I opt for physical therapy. Sure, It's non-invasive. Yeah. So I go back to school on crutches. Mm Mm-hmm. And walk in and I see the coach and he just, his face drops. What happened? I went, yeah, apparently there was a knee injury that had been lingering for nine, ten months. Here it is. (laughs) So that was junior year of uh, of high school. It took me, I don't know, four or five months of physical therapy before I was back to not having crutches or anything. And was mobile again. But by that point... You're not playing tennis for the better part of a year. You're kind of done. Right. Everybody else has been playing, and no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to get it back. So that ended that. Years later, um, a couple of years later, I'm at University of Illinois mm-hmm. and working in radio and everything, and I drive back because from the Chicago area, it's only two hours. I come back home, I walk in. And I'm standing at the counter, talking to family. The side door opens, and my cousin's chocolate lab comes running in. Now, she's a puppy at this point, okay. but a bigger bigger dog with yeah. an endless amount of energy. Really excited to see everybody. Runs right in and does what bigger dogs do. Jumps up and lands their paw on your leg. To say hi. That dog put its full force right above my right knee. Mm-hmm it kicked out again. Oh. So I just collapse in a heap. We go back to the doctor. Congratulations, you get to be on crutches again and do physical therapy oh. again. But now I'm an undergrad at the University of Illinois in the history department, which is in one of the oldest buildings that has a very very infrequently operating elevator. So now I'm climbing stairs on crutches, and I'm traversing this (sighs) big campus on crutches.
1: Isn't it weird how crutches have not evolved? Like, I I imagine your crutches were not comfortable. Oh, no, but I I knew how to run on
0: them. Oh. Yeah, you can swing, you can go really fast. Uh, Great core strength comes from crutches. (laughs) That's true. So that was the second time it, it had gone, and even after doing rehab, it never felt right. This phantom pain... And it lingered. Now, the third time, Mm -hmm. this was recent. This was 2017. Okay. 2017. I'm in Los Angeles. I go with a couple friends to a Memphis Grizzlies-Los Angeles Lakers game at the Staples Center. Okay. And we go there. We take the train. We're hanging out. And my buddy Nas, his friend, bought the tickets to the game. She shows up at halftime, and we had, we were all annoyed because we're sitting in a bar across from the, the stadium wanting right. to see this basketball game <laughs> that she said cost $45 for all of us. She says, I'm on my way for an hour before the game through the hour and a half of the first half of the game. So we're just in this bar drinking and, and getting annoyed. Right. And she finally shows up. Yeah. We still had to pay her full price, which I still am annoyed. I'm more annoyed about that. Than anything uh, yeah. Else. yeah it's- we go see the second half of the game. Complete disaster. Awful. <laughs> awful game. And walk out. And when we walk out, my left foot goes into a pothole on Figueroa. And my knee wrenches. So now this is my left knee, not my right. So oh. the opposite knee, which okay. had been compensating for the right for years, yeah. goes. I was like, okay, this is this is not comfortable. I don't know what happened here. And as the day went, my legs started pulling further and further in. So I couldn't straighten it. I could barely put any pressure onto it. Yeah. And I couldn't get an appointment with my doctor for another week. So I'm going Great. to work. I'm still rehearsing for shows with, uh, with, people, with friends of mine who are doing musicals and things. And when I finally go and get to see her, she looks horrified, thinks you've torn everything in your knee. That's always a comforting face when the doctor's horrified. Now we're going to send you to go get x-rays and and MRIs and all, and we'll see from there. So I go and do that, and she sends me to a specialist, and the orthopedic surgeon looks at it and goes, well, everything seems to be in the right place, and there's no breaks. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to send you to a physical therapist and see what happens. Go to the physical therapist, and he starts joint manipulation stuff. And says, you have to quit every show you're a part of. You cannot drive, really. And you can't go to work for the next four and a half months. What? I had to sit at home on a couch. And the only place I could really go was to the physical therapist's office three to four times a week. (sighs) Because my hamstring twisted around the, the joint. and they had was like this is gonna be bad this is gonna hurt you're gonna have to do this for months and there were no crutches so that was a fun thing it's like you have no support here i was living on the second floor of a walk up in culver city and the amount of time and energy it would take to go to a grocery store or home depot which were the two places i liked going the most at that point was so exhausting that i had to come back and that was it And for someone like me, who is constantly active and doing a ton of shows and running around, likes hiking, to lose total mobility in the one knee you could rely on was so awful. And this was right before I turned 30. (laughs) So I turned 30 on my couch in this apartment with a busted knee watching Bob's Burgers. (laughs) Well, a fine program. But that sounds rough. And that's, then that's to, to make it even better, this mm-hmm. is the, the piece, the resistance of this. At the time, I had met this girl who that's I would good. later find out, who was with, with me hanging out watching this, I find out I'm the other guy. Oh. Which she didn't tell me. See, I was going to ask
1: if you had if you were in any kind of relationship during this. Yeah, one good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I found out, I was like, well, now I can't walk. I found out I was the other guy, so this is over. That's, that's not fun. How'd and, you find out? Oh, it's too gruesome. Too <laughs> gruesome to
1: tell. Damn. That sounds... Yeah. God.
0: Let's, let's just say, if you're going to lie, don't, don't put it on Facebook. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? that's That's a way to find out. Like, oh, God. So so she posted
1: about the real guy and you saw that picture of the real guy yeah oh fuck yeah how how long were you into the relationship at that point
0: that was a couple months yeah and it was funny because uh friends of ours had seen us together yeah friends of mine had seen us together and Uh they i was like was i did i misread this it's very possible (laughs) anybody can misread anything sure and they're like no i i don't no (laughs) they all do like every every girl who saw us together, A friend of mine was like, there's no way, no way that you misread that. I went, like, well, that just, that's just great. Oh, but it gosh. made sense at the time. Like, you know what? This would happen right now. <laughs> yeah. Like I've had to quit every show. I can't go anywhere. Oh, this just terrible is better and better. But you learn a lot about yourself when you can't walk. And the only thing I could rely on for years was my left knee was fine. My right knee was the one that always was going to threaten to just go out at any point. Right. And now you're having easy your right this knee. This was like 10 years of, 10, 15 years of compensation. Yeah. So the left knee was just overworked. So then I took the rehab far more seriously than I'd ever taken anything in my life. And to the point that the physical therapist would call me Wolverine because I was <laughs> pushing it so much that like, you're doing things four weeks earlier than you should. Like, you don't know yeah I don't want this, is, this anymore right well this sounds like it's the only thing you can really focus yeah. on or do so that was uh that's knee injuries and <laughs> as someone who does Pratt Falls and physical comedy and right very laurel and hardy Buster Keaton and all this to know you can't throw yourself on stage anymore right for a while like now now I'm doing things to correct this I'm doing a lot of yoga so now okay. primarily so that I can do Pratt Falls <laughs> but knowing that yeah I went, oh okay this puts everything into perspective of I only do the shows that I want to do. I only go to the places that I want to go to. Right. I have more control over this. And it also provided much needed clarity in my life of what my relationship was to other people, certain people Mm -hmm. who were actually friends or friends who were more like family, who came just to see how I was doing or would check up on me for no other reason than they were just wondering, how are you doing? Just that those minor check-ins mean so much more. Then when five months later, you can walk again, and the people who didn't see you, like, hey, where have you been? Right. Everybody knows I couldn't walk. Right. And they go, oh, you all right? No. I'm better now. And they go, cool. I've got this show at the clubhouse at 11 o'clock. And for those of you who don't know, the clubhouse is a delightful place to do indie comedy stuff, but I'm not going to go to an 11 o'clock improv show on a Tuesday night. Right. When your first thing when you find out I couldn't walk for half a year almost is so you are so you can come see my show now it's like no 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 I can I, I won't I can I, I won't it's like <laughs> yeah. I love you but I don't want that's
1: true yeah that you, you people you think are your friends and it's like you
0: think that they would at some point be like oh
1: I haven't seen him and in this a long is time not,
0: this is not in a negative capacity way me going well f that person no or anything no. I just started to understand is my relationship with you is more transactional. Right. It's built out of convenience of we know each other from this comedy theater. We know each other in this form of life. We support each other's shows, we might work with each other on bit things. Right. But when the chips are down, I know that I'm not that person in your life who you're coming to and I know that you aren't that person in mine. Right. And you have this tendency, you want to be friends with as many people as possible, and you want to build out your circles as much as possible, but the sheer fact is, you can be completely cordial, completely nice, you can be friends with people, but there's a limit right? that you will inevitably reach, where there are certain people, that handful of friends, that you hear about from your parents, that you're lucky when you're older to have three to four really good friends, uh, and before that, you know everybody, right? but later... The circle gets smaller and smaller, and I understand that way more now because of when the important things happen, right? the big life-changing things, the bad things, and even the good things. Who do you want to tell? And if it's privileged information, who are you going to tell? Mm -hmm. And that provided me with so much more clarity going, great, I am happy that I'm aware of this now, where... I, I'm not compartmentalizing people in my head. I'm not going, okay, you're this person in my life. You're not, you're this person, but I recognize it a lot earlier. Right. And I appreciate it for what it is. Is it a friendship based on circumstance that we just happen to be at the same job and we became friends there, but there's nothing beyond that job. Mm-hmm. Like good luck to you. I yeah. wish you nothing but the best, but we're probably not going to be hanging out. Right. Um, uh, or even people who, at a time, you're really close to, and then life happens, and you grow apart, and there's nothing negative there. You just...
1: Particularly out here, i found that right I've had friendships out of uh, location. You know, like, if I'm in yeah, a and then when I move, I'm like, ah, oh, well, we don't care enough each other hey. to drive the hour. It's fine. It, <laughs> yeah, I, it I is. I
0: think it is. It's. A, it might sound a bit harsh, in a way, but, right. but I hundred- think it's, just, it's a clarity you come to the older you get. Yeah. But all things I wouldn't have realized as early as I did had I not blown out two knees three times. So, I would say another way that I've learned that in the last year or so
1: about friends is uh, a lot of my friends are getting married, mm-hmm. and you realize like whether or not you get the invitation to the wedding, right? You know, there was like I was hanging out with a, there was a college friend who who got engaged, and I was hanging out with some of the other our other friends, and I like pegged it at the time as like. I mean, yeah, I'll probably get invited, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it was really awkward because the other friends were like looking around. Did did you get the
0: the announcement? Because we did. It was, oh. <laughs> that that oh, actually I guess not. <laughs> so that actually happened to me. A really good friend of mine was getting married in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, Wilkes Carter, lovely guy. And he would we'd been talking forever, by the way. I knew where he was getting married. I knew I had a rough idea when it was happening. But I didn't get an invitation. And friends of ours were saying, Well, you're going to weddings? Like, no, I'm not. And said, Why? He like, said, He didn't invite me. Yeah. I went, That can't be true. He's like, I never got anything. <laughs> yeah. And so then one of the girls tells him, and he goes, Wait, you didn't get the invitation? He's like, No. Nah. He goes, Why didn't you tell me? He's like, How am I supposed to tell you you didn't invite me to your own wedding? He's like, No, but I did. I did. And <laughs> <laughs> so he tells me, He's like, Here's all the information. His now wife rachel was like of course he was invited Like, why can't he come and I went well i didn't know and i'm a part of this musical that's friday saturday and sunday and i did not get coverage i couldn't and i was splitting the part and the guy who i was splitting the part with was out of town mm-hmm. and i couldn't take i couldn't jump on a 600 dollars red eye to right. fly to nashville to go to the wedding and then come back and do a show the next morning mm-hmm. so i went well you know i'll see you here right a lot yeah but like a month after his wedding the invitation showed up in the mail. Holy shit! The postal system just lost it. It had so many stamps of rerouting. Yeah. It had been everywhere. <laughs> so I bring it in, I'm like, "Hey Wilkes, uh, I want to go." <laughs> but I think time travel is implausible. So let's let's pretend I did. Yeah, yeah. But that happens, and I yeah. and I thought that was hilarious. But there's mm-hmm. plenty of people who, like, I was in high school with, or in undergrad where I went when they were getting married and I wasn't going, hey, that's fine.
1: Yeah, of course. Do what you're going to do at your wedding. And it's happened on the other side of things, too, where I was invited to a wedding on the other side of the country, Mm -hmm. and then I made it clear to them where they listed my priorities, because I was Ah. like, you know, I mean, I sound like I was like, fuck you. just pulled out (laughs) a black
0: book, like, here you are, page 76.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) 75 other people have to be eliminated before you are wedding
1: worthy. I was like, eh, I don't know if our friendship's worth the $700 Seven hundred dollar round trip ticket and you know, like Yeah. Eh, so I've been on both
0: sides of it. It's interesting it happens. it's interesting what what embarrassing things or yeah. injuries will reveal to you. So that that's all that. Now I know that I prefaced this stuff about the knees as this is the this was the first significant thing. Yes. I was wrong. Okay. Because, <laughs> because this is nineteen ninety seven, ni- 1998, eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Okay. My oldest brother, five years older than me, Prashant, was building a Suspension bridge out of toothpicks for, a, for high school, for a physics class. Like, oh, can you build this that supports X amount of weight using nothing but toothpicks and hot glue? Wow. So he did that okay. in the basement. Uh, and our basement had Berber carpet, which anybody who's familiar with it, it's rough and things stick in it very mm-hmm. easily. Okay. One of the toothpicks was sticking in the carpet straight up Ooh. with dried... Hot glue on it. None of us noticed. Yeah. A couple days later, next day, uh, chasing each other around the basement as brothers are wont to do. Right. And I think I'm going to cut him off at the pass, so to speak, <laughs> by vaulting over the sofa and catching him. Yeah. Why I, being five years younger than him and infinitely smaller than him, thought this was a good idea still to this day is beyond me but I do that mm-hmm. I vault over and I land directly onto this unknown toothpick oh. so it's in my foot and I go ah. I just look down and there's this wood sticking out of my foot <sighs> and at the time like he he laughs I laugh I'm like this is this is this is not good <laughs> I hop my way up the stairs trying to get to the kitchen yeah where I know there's a like medical kit with surgical tools in it because both of my parents are doctors and i get all the way up i get through the living room and there's a step up into the kitchen i trip on the step oh and i land and the whole thing goes all the way in. oh so now it just really hurts yeah my oh. mom comes in and i tell her what happened yeah and she can see the entry and so then she anest anest it's a hard word to say mm. anest anest the ties it okay um wow that's what does that right mean? now i uh, numbs it oh anesthetic right oh, okay <laughs> so she goes and she's digging through where it went in to try and find it yeah can't find it so they take me to the hospital so that was technically surgery number one on this uh-huh. go to the hospital another doctor gives me an injection again now he's rooting around he can't find it so they say it must have fallen out. And my mom is talking to my brothers. Can you find it? They're looking around. They can't find this thing, obviously, because it's not there. No. So they suture me up. I'm, I'm good. Month, month and a half goes by. Now I'm on a flight to India for my aunt's wedding. Okay. So this is 1999. Yeah. Um, so I'm flying 1999. This is about a month and a half, two months after this thing has gone to my foot. Now I'm parading around India, walking everywhere. And I'm telling my dad, I think it's still in there because this really hurts. Hey, my foot really hurts. Come back from India. Third exploratory surgery. Still can't find it. Where the hell is this? Nobody knows. So the fourth one, they say, now, you know what? If, it, if there's this pain, there's got to be something going on in your foot that is related to this or something else. So they go, we're going to do a general surgery on it and we're gonna find it if it's there or fix whatever say okay and then because when you do x-rays and things with wood it looks very much like just flesh and sinews and all at that Uh. point so then they do an ultrasound (laughs) and there it is it had migrated an inch further down my foot and just kept going so now it was along the middle middle of my foot along the whole tendon and is this a full tooth full toothpick so my god i had to have this surgery number four so i'm on and off crutches at this point constantly and i'm laying there in the the surgical theater and they give me two injections on my ankle and they don't take right away okay so i could feel the scalpel going into my foot and pulling it down and it felt like i was like oh this is kind of like the sensation of tearing paper mm-hmm. but i wasn't supposed to feel any of that no. so i tell them so they inject me a couple more times so the next 45 minutes or so i'm just laying there staring at heart monitors listening to selena <laughs> sing uh <laughs> i could fall in love <laughs> and things like that that was what was playing they were playing music yeah. is that common oh yeah yeah in surgical theater they do <laughs> and then the nurse comes to me after they get it out and shows it to me in like a specimen container full toothpick still had hot glue on it and they said, this is pretty great. I think he's going to want to keep this. <laughs> so I think that the doctor might have kept it. I don't know for how long So it was just so ridiculous that someone for four months, five months would be traipsing around the world with a full unbroken toothpick in their foot. Oh, oh God. Yeah. So I can say that, and I actually did the, the, the calculations on this. I have spent over two years of my life on crutches. Ugh. And I'm about to turn thirty two. Okay. So that's a that's a significant that's amount of a time. Significant amount of time, yeah. As a kid where you can't run around and play or like you know you can't play tennis, you can't do all these things. So don't injure joints. <laughs> huh, that's good advice. Don't mm-hmm. injure joints. And don't Try your best not to get a toothpick lodged in there. For, for Do everything doctor. you can. Do everything you can. I'm shocked it took them four surgeries
1: to just say we're not leaving until we get it out.
0: Yeah, They're well, like, ah, it's probably fine." Uh, well, what are you going to this like this the middle school kid is yeah. telling you I got something in my foot like, you wh- Why what? would you lie? No, but also like how likely are you to be right? It's like the flights of yeah. fancy and imagination, the improbable yeah. nature of me vaulting over a couch to the specific part of the the carpet that had a toothpick standing straight up there's so much just is fundamentally wrong with it and then because i decided to hop my way up a flight of stairs and then trip at the end they assume it must have come out or it must have broken there's no way there could be a full thing this is just oh he's there's something wrong we don't know what but whatever it is it got out so maybe there's something else so there's obviously probably things that my parents remember better about it. Than sure, I, do. Yeah, I just yeah, remember yeah. two full years of my life on crutches <laughs> and constant surgeries. But when it when they got it, yeah, and it was out. I was like, "Told you." Yeah, that had to I feel knew so it good. was there. I knew it was there, <laughs> yeah. and I still have this large surgical scar on my right foot. Yeah. to this day, that oh, wow. I, I look at and go, "Good reminder." <laughs> Toothpicks are for your teeth, <laughs> not your feet. Not your feet. <laughs> so there I've was, always said that. Those are two big seminal injuries, and then three if you look at the, the broken arm, right. four if you look at the broken finger. But it doesn't end there, does it doesn't it? end there. It <laughs> does not end there. Uh, here's where I don't have the benefit of youth on my side. Oh, this is okay. where I should know better. Mm-hmm. I should have known better, but I didn't, <laughs> uh, or I just chose to ignore it. When I first moved here after grad school at Syracuse, so this is a <laughs> shout out to the New House School. 2010, uh, armed with a master's in television, radio, and film. The economy still completely in the tank. Mm-hmm. And no one wanting to hire a brown guy with a name they can't pronounce with a master's degree to do anything in TV. Working at these terrible jobs. This one, I was working in a music licensing house, run out of a man's house in Encino, California. Sounds great. I worked in a bedroom next to his daughter's bedroom. <laughs> Awful. We had to park a mile away. He'd pick us up in his truck every morning because his neighbors didn't know he was running a business out of there. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, we couldn't go get lunch anywhere. We had to bring it with us every time. And if we forgot, he would make us things which weren't good. Like and. What? Just he would always have an ungodly amount of brown rice, and then he would throw whatever he had into it. He's like here's some soy sauce, here's some frozen vegetables, which oftentimes were still frozen when when he gave it to you. <laughs> he had a dog the size of a lion, um, who was old, so old, smelled terrible, <laughs> and you, and because I needed the money at the sure. time, I yeah. was working for eight dollars an hour, oh, ten God. hours a day. Oh. And still living less than paycheck to paycheck. So, everything about this is terrible. And I lived in Culver City and was driving to Encino. So, I'm (sighs) driving in the teeth of traffic on the 405, which is hell on earth, every single day to go to this. Right. And I'm paying for voiceover lessons um, so I can cut the demo and actually start doing this, which I do this professionally now. So, all of my flexible income, such as it was, and I was living out of my savings, was going to pay for these expensive classes yeah and knowing i don't want to be at this job i don't want to be anywhere near this i need to get out of here and because money was so tight and my roommates and i when we first started living together first place we lived we had no furniture we were sleeping on the floors um we couldn't afford really anything so all we would do is we trade off who bought a gallon of milk we'd all have a bunch of cereal and we'd eat either cereal or $2 bags of Santitas with cheap cheese and just eat nachos, Mm. because we couldn't afford anything else. And then we would splurge by spending $5 at Taco Bell. Uh, Wonderful time. (laughs) Things were so much simpler then. (laughs) But in order to maintain some financial flexibility when things were pretty terrible, I came up with this brilliant solution that I would rather pay my voiceover coach So I could keep making progress on this, then stop. I'd rather pay her than buy groceries. Mm. So I would take a week off at a time of not eating. I would just not eat anything. (sighs) I would work all the time, drink a ton of water, and not eat. Now, this adds up after a while. Yes. Um, And my buddy's birthday is October 28th, so it's right before Halloween. So we were having a party for him. And in our infinite wisdom, we decided to buy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pimp goblets, because it was ridiculous. Why not? <laughs> 20, 2010 was a simpler time. <laughs> 2011. Uh, so we get those, and this was also still the height of drinking white Russians, mm-hmm. because of the Big Lebowski. Right. And We just started drinking them. and you well, already he, had the milk. You had the milk. <laughs> and we got the vodka. It was more vodka than anything else. Vodka and Kahlua. <laughs> So we we're drinking it out of these Pimp Cobblets. Now, if you've seen them at your local Hot Topic or Spencer's Gifts or one of those places that you never want to be caught dead, they're pretty sizable. Like 32 ounces can be held in there with ease. So he and I are drinking those. On top of that, we're taking shots of whiskey because we were big fans of Deadwood, still are, <laughs> and we used to have a drinking game of you drink whiskey when they drink whiskey. Don't do this.
1: Now, this is coming from was- a
0: guy who doesn't really drink anymore. So... A lot of these I I chalk up to the perils of stupidity and being a shiftless, directionless artist at the time that I was. Sure. So we're doing that. Yeah. Um, I went to pick up a friend of ours who was on the other side of town because she needed a ride. So I drove from Culver City to North Hollywood, picked her up, got stuck in traffic on the way back. Now, this has been days since I've eaten anything. Yeah. And then I get back and he gives me the glass. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And I keep, like, eyeing a bowl of pretzels on the table. You'll be mine soon. But soon didn't come soon enough. And we were playing things like rock band and random wrestling matches. And all these people are at the apartment. Now we're, we're entertaining. And we're very social and jovial guys, the three of us, John, Nick, and I. And um, then we add another unknown element into the mix. Mm. Now I'm, I've drank far too much. Yes. Eaten far and too little. And then... And and eaten nothing. Yes. And then we smoked a joint. Oh, great. Yeah. So now, <laughs> everything, this unique chemical combination of stupidity has pushed me over the limit yeah. now. And we're on the balcony. And I... I... Take the hit, and, and then clearly they knew something was off because I was getting wobbly. So John, who's... About about my height, maybe an inch taller, former football player, tennis player, in imm- immaculate shape. This guy goes inside to arrange couch, uh, couch cushions and pillows for a potential place for me to be. Yes. Nick, who is much shorter, like 5'8", five 5'9", five he is the one who is supporting me. Oh, that makes Our sense. Our buddy <laughs> Evan is laughing at this. He's fine. He's just dancing. He's just dancing. There's a cinder block for some reason on our on our balcony. I don't know why it was there. (laughs) I I I tripped on it, heading in, Uh and went straight down onto the sliding metal track of the storm door. Yeah, hit my head repeatedly, so cracked my head open. So there's a gash, an inch long and a little deep, not not horrifying. Right. But then there's the cut there, it's a the cut on the bridge of my nose, all of this. And I'm out. I'm knocked out. So they freak out. Obviously, pick me up, take me over to the couch, which gotta give it to John. The cushions were amazing. <laughs> and the pillars were exactly where they needed to be. Yeah. I'm probably out for 30, 40 seconds. Yeah. I come to right away. My temperature's through the roof. I'm disoriented, but now the blood's flowing, so I'm more conscious than I than I should be, given yeah. what I've put in my system. He's Nick is on the phone with the uh, 911, telling them that they need to come and get me. And I say, who are you on the phone with? And he says, I'm talking to an ambulance. I said, you've got to hang up the phone. He says, why? Like, now, this is a time when I don't have health insurance. I would, yeah, yeah. And I don't have health insurance. And even though you're drinking in your home and everything else, this here ridiculousness of what was in my system, you take that to any doctor The bill is going to be through the roof. And then how do you explain that to your parents? Right. This is how I'm explaining it to my parents. (laughs) Uh, So he says, oh, he's okay. So he hangs up the phone. They call him back right away. He says, no, no, they're fine. He says, no, sir, you have to answer my questions now. So they start asking me a series of questions. And I'm answering every one of them. And I remember the last one was my friend Ashley asked me, are you brown? And I look at her and go, (laughs) What kind of dumb question? (laughs) is? Of course I'm brown. And she goes, he's fine. He's fine. So now I'm sitting there the rest of the night with a bag of frozen peas strapped to my head, uh, bandages on, force feeding myself pretzels and things. I stayed up all morning to make sure there wasn't any additional late onset concussions and watching Fraggle Rock. Oh. So around (laughs) 8, 9 in the morning, I'm like, okay, well, uh, today's Sunday. And tomorrow I have to be at work. Let's see how bad this is. Yeah. So I look in the mirror, and it's bad. It, I look like I lost a the worst prize fight. Or mm-hmm. well, maybe I won it. I don't know. <laughs> I look terrible. But I'm looking at the, especially the gash on my forehead, which is so noticeable. I'm going, well, it's not deep enough that I need to go get stitches. If I play this right, I can let it heal itself before the three weeks when I'm going to fly to visit my parents. Okay. And I had long hair at this time and I was want to wear bandanas and tennis tie headbands. So I put the bandages on and the Neosporin back team, whatever it was, everything on. And I'm just, my face is covered in bandages and and looks like I got the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. And I go to that job, the music (laughs) licensing place. Sure. We were all parked on the side road in Encino and the other three guys who were working with me at the time. We all are standing there waiting for this guy to pick us up in his big truck. And they look at me and they go, holy (laughs) shit, what happened to you? Now, the biggest bandage is covered by this tennis tie headband. This Raphael Nadal-looking thing. (laughs) So they just see the one across the bridge of my nose and these other ones. And I go, um... And I'm trying to think, what's the best way to save face (laughs) even though my face looks like a construction site? (laughs) And one of the guys goes... Should have seen the other guy, right? It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you should guy. see the other guy. <laughs> and I think all of them knew in a way. It's like he just some dumb. Yeah. It's some dumb. Let's let him have some kind of dignity and assume that he lost that a bar nice fight. Yeah. Like great. <laughs> Three weeks later, I'm sitting next to my mom on a couch, knowing that I still have the scar on my head. It's faded a little bit, um, but noticeable enough that if she if she was close enough, she would see and go, "What happened? Which happened?" She looks at me and goes, What happened there? And I went, Mom, I don't want to lie to you. <laughs> and I didn't say anything. I just looked forward. <laughs> and she says, So that's it? You're just not going to say anything? <laughs> but it's probably for the best. You don't want to You don't want to know. You don't want to know. And yeah. even with my dad, he's like, What did you do? I said, Well, let me put it this way let's pretend you're me at your at my age, living where I am, what would you be doing? And he went, Oh shit. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> so let's just say there was some there was some booze and other things involved in not eating. And um that happened. Yeah. So I clearly probably I, I was knocked out. Probably low grade concussion, scars on my head and all. The important lesson you learn from this is moderation. <laughs> yes. Um and also, you don't need to drink to have a good time. You no. don't. I'm a very loose person. So the mm-hmm. idea of a social lubricant to make myself loose is only making me go from Stretch Armstrong to Gumby. Right. So what's the real big difference there? I don't know. Maybe a pony. <laughs> but I look at that as, well, okay, that's that, that never needs to happen again. Now, yeah. obviously, there's times where you're at weddings and things. You push it a little too far. Now I'm at a point that I just don't enjoy it No, in any real way. So I don't really drink anymore. But that is how that wonderful injury came about. This is good. So you're learning things from all these injuries. Yes, (laughs) and that, I can say, was was patently embarrassing in the... there's There's no honorable way to say, you know, I knocked myself out and cracked my head open because I got drunk on my friend's birthday and smoked weed and hadn't eaten in a week. Right. All of these things are my fault. Right. Every step of the way. Now, the cinder block... That was the universe's way of waking me up. Yeah, that's like, hey, cart. time for you to get a message from us. Yeah, time to start eating. Yeah, so, man, that was a that was a that was a time.
1: That's yeah. I mean, I mean, that's rough. That's I think so many people don't realize that when you move out here, it's just that's what you got to do. Yeah, to, to you know, it's like the, the dreams are strong I,
0: enough. I understand the compulsion of the artistic temperament to when when things are not progressing and you're really stuck and then you go that hemingway route of you just keep drinking and any doing everything else because you want to feel like anything's worthwhile and this was before i started going to the second city and i actually found where i belonged in la It was right. before i met the other south asian people in la who are really good friends of mine now so i was basically an isolated indian guy surrounded by a bunch of white people who i loved but when you're the token right. and then people start making jokes because they feel they can because you are that ethnic friend of theirs right. and you don't want to be around it or you're looking at it going, well, I know that I studied for this stuff and I trained for this stuff. I have a master's and I still can't get a job. The economy's terrible. I'm barely getting by. When is something actually going to work? And then not liking the city that you're living in at the time. I was like, I didn't I didn't like LA because there wasn't any place that I could really go right. that I felt meant anything to me or mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a part of. And the bars that my friends would want to go to is like, again, I'm the only non-white person in that bar. I don't want to be there. No. I frankly, half the time didn't feel safe. The other time, I just didn't dig the vibe. I wanted to be anywhere else. So it wasn't until 2013 when I started at Second City and went, ah, you are my people, my beloved weirdos. <laughs> and now... This is when this time gets fun, but that injury—the uh, the great knockout on the metal track—don't hit your head on metal tracks; they really hurt. That was all pre. Finding your place. professionally doing comedy, uh, but it was a really good pratfall <laughs> that went really, <laughs> really wrong. Yes. Now the the big one mm-hmm. that we we were building to. Yes. This- this was in 2010 the year the place syracuse new york okay i was in grad school ta for or sorry ia instructional associate for the head of the tv television radio and film department uh, and I was the TA who was approved for overtime because I was teaching a TV production class that had a lab component. So I was working over 40 hours a week. On the typical day that they would be, the students would be in the studio building sets <coughs> and filming and all, I would have to be on campus because of my schedule from 6 p.m. till roughly 4.30 in the morning. Ooh, okay. So I, was, I rode my bike everywhere because it's really fun riding on hills mm. there. <laughs> uh, and I'm riding over there, and I still own this jacket, by the way. This, I'm wearing this jacket. It's frayed, cool thing that my brother gave me. I'm on my bicycle. I have my backpack with my computer in it. And I'm going down this big hill that I need to go down before I turn over to the new house 2 building. For people who went there, they, they know what I'm talking about. And there's a bus stop there. I'm riding down this hill. The bus is not moving. I get closer to the bus. The bus turns into the street directly towards me. Now, here's where things get really fuzzy. Because I definitely concussed myself here. So, uh, probably low grade. The bus comes towards me, clips the back of my bike. I'm going down this hill at a tremendous speed. I go flying over the handlebars going down the hill. In my moments of clarity, I realize I have this computer with me that I really do need. So, I whip the bag around my back to make sure it's not the thing that lands. And as I'm going down to the ground, I put one, each hand out, left hand palm facing out, right hand also palm facing out, but angled differently Mm -hmm. to take most of the shock. Yeah. I go down hard (laughs) and jam a wrist, roll an ankle, cuts and scrapes and bruises. My bike is messed up. And I did not get the number of the bus that hit me. Bus drives away. Oh, doesn't even stop. And people on the sidewalks are going, Oh my God, are you okay? And I pause for a second? And then I jump up (laughs) to my feet and I start bouncing in place like a, like a box. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. Like, what? it's like, yeah, I think I'm good. And they, they're seeing there's some cuts on my face and there's blood. i like, yeah, I'm good. And I look at the bike and go, ah oh, man. Well, that sucks. So I put the bike on my shoulder and I limp my way over to the building, lock my bike up, and I go into class. <laughs> oh, um, adrenaline. But Before I get to the class, I stop off at the office and I get, get my keys. I go down in the studio. I raid the first aid kit and make braces and things for myself. I walk into the class. And open up my computer and in my infinite wisdom, I think this is the funniest thing ever. So I go on Facebook. <laughs> and this is an earlier iteration of Facebook sure. where it's I think it might have still had you now you would say your name and then is and then right. you have to tell in after that. Probably stopped. still at that time. I wrote something to the effect of, I felt the sensation of flight today after being hit by a bus and flying over my handlebars. The good news is, I'm fine, and the weather is great. <laughs> something like that. And I left it alone. Yeah. Because Then the teacher's like, hey, put away computers, we're not dealing with that today. I go, okay. So I close it, shut it down. The, the computers got still, it got damaged. There were some chips in it, but it was okay. It worked fine. I don't have my phone, though. In my mind, my phone went flying when I got hit by the bus. Yeah. And is either destroyed or gone to the ages. Sure. So I don't even think about this. Because I'm too busy regaling people with tales of, yeah, the uh, bus hit me, clipped me, whatever it was. It it did enough, even by the mere suggestion of almost hitting me, if whatever the case is, that I went straight over the handlebars. And that was fun. So... I'm going from that three-hour class immediately to teach for the next seven hours. <laughs> and I'm thinking nothing of it. I'm just popping Tylenol to deal with a headache and all. And then one of my friends, John, who I ended up living with later, who was there, the guy who moved the, the cushions and pillows, he calls one of our other friends because they, I don't have my phone. He says, hey, uh, the cops are looking for Rama. He's like, the cops? He's like, yeah, they're up here at the edit suites. Can, can you come up to the third floor? I'm like, yeah, cool. So I'm... <laughs> and for reference, for visual, long hair, uh, bandana again, long cargo shorts on. <laughs> I look like I just came from some music festival or yeah. was really into the motorcycle diaries, which I probably was. <laughs> I go up in the elevator. Elevator opens on the third floor. Cop is standing there across from me. I say, hey, you looking for me? And he goes, you're Rama? I go, yeah he goes come over here right now you go over and he says your parents have been looking for you for hours they've been trying to call you and can't get a hold of you and they call the police somebody you getting hit by a bus and i look at him show him all these things like yeah i got hit by this bus and he goes yeah you need to call him right now and i went uh so here's the thing and he goes what because you could tell he'd been trying to figure out where the hell i was yeah he goes So I don't have my phone. It may have been destroyed by the bus or it might be in my apartment plugged in. I don't know. But my bike is messed up. Would you be willing to give me a ride? And he goes, yeah, come on, man. So he is calling in to the station. He's like, yeah, I got him. I'm going to take him back to his house. He's got to find his phone. Um, He seems okay. He's like, great. I have a habit of walking with my arms behind my back. Like, my hands kind of lie, like, right hand holding the left huh. wrist. Okay. just kind of strolling. It's something my yeah. grandfather uh, would do that you just kind of inherit. Sure. And so I'm walking in front of the cop <laughs> with my hands like that behind my back, <laughs> looking the way I do. <laughs> Students in the class go, Oh my God, is he getting arrested? <laughs> my wonderful friends, Sip Stevenson and Nick Hanshouten and Jason Serrano, all go, Oh yeah, y- you didn't know? And they went, What? Hey, He's a drug dealer. I went, are you serious? Like, yeah, why would anybody willingly dress like that otherwise? <laughs> so, they uh, one of them, or two of them were also TAs. So, I was like, okay, you guys are in charge while I'm gone. Make sure nobody gets hurt. So, cop takes me back to my place. I walk into my apartment. My phone was there. Oh. Plugged in. I pick it up. 103 missed phone calls. Oh, my God. <laughs> 99 missed text messages apparently an aunt of mine in detroit saw this facebook status and immediately calls my parents and say did you know he got hit by a bus (laughs) didn't read him what read my parents what i wrote yeah she said he got hit by a bus so now my parents are freaking out understandably so what do you mean he got hit by a bus do they start calling me they can't get a hold of me because i'm not answering i don't have my phone right they call my oldest brother do you know anything about this and he goes if if he's stupid enough to write on facebook that he got hit by a bus i'm sure he's fine like right. you don't know that you don't know that <laughs> now my parents don't have numbers for any of my friends in new york mm. they have a number for my professor's office but not his house and when i was teaching he would just not be there it was his purview he just go yeah you got this and he would disappear right. so they're calling his office no one's answering they don't know who to call so they call the police looking for me i finally get it so i see all the missed messages i decided to call my oldest brother to take the temperature and see see how it is so he answers the phone and he just goes you idiot going, hello <laughs> he goes why would you think that was a good idea I was like well on its face it seemed very funny since i'm okay mm-hmm. and i told him yeah just the usual cut scrapes bruises, things like that and he says did you call mom and dad yet i said no that's why i'm calling you first how bad he goes dad's quiet And mom is probably going to kill you. (laughs) Now, my mom is one of the calmest, quietest people I know. My dad is the great unknown comedian of his generation. So you'd think the thing would be opposite. So I call. And my dad answers the phone. I just go, hello. (laughs) And he says, we have been looking for you for the last eight hours. Mumta called and told us you got hit by this bus. We have no numbers for your friends. No, we can't get a hold of your professor. We can't get a hold of anybody. So the police found you. Are you okay? I, went, I am all right. Just minor bumps and bruises. Nothing out of the ordinary. He goes, talk to your mother. Hands the phone to my mom. And she goes, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? Why would you think that's funny? I was like, well, on its face, it's, it was really funny to me. But she goes, you're the child of doctors. And you know about late onset concussions. And this was right around the time that the actress Natasha Richardson died after a late onset concussion from uh, accident skiing. And it's like, you're right. Now that you mentioned all of that stuff that I already knew, uh, that wasn't nearly as funny as I thought. So she says, don't go anywhere. It's like, ooh, can't do that. <laughs> she says what are you talking about? It's like, well, I am still teaching and for liability and insurance reasons, I actually have to be back there because otherwise if something happens, the university and me will be in a lot of trouble or university and I will be in a lot of trouble. So I so said, I'm going to drive back because my bike is a mess and then I'll be done around 3, 30, 4, 30, in the morning and I'll be back. And she says, and then what are you going to do? It's like I'm going to... Keep an eye on all this. Make sure there's no blurred vision, massive headaches, anything. Um, and then I will call you first thing in the morning. He says, good. So I go back and finish teaching everything. And the student's like, oh, my God, I thought you got arrested. It's like, I did. I posted bail. <laughs> so, get that going. We keep going. And then I get home. I I just stay up. And then I call him like, yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Next day, I'm there. I go to to my professor's office. And he goes, so... um. What I just got in, and I just heard these messages from your parents, and there's a lot of talk in the building. You got hit by a bus, I'm like, yeah, that's a thing that happened. And he goes, "You okay?" I'm like, well, eh, you know, I think so. Far <laughs> yeah. from far from the usual. Now later, I win an award at at Newhouse, the the Alex Taft Award for Comic Spirit, named after a former TA of this very same professor, who unfortunately was. Killed in a car accident while driving out to L.A. Mm. So there is an award for whoever most personifies that comic spirit in in life and in class and work and everything. And he put me up for it and I won it. And I go to the I leave the class I'm teaching to go and get this thing or to hear the announcement. He's texting me. Where are you? Where are you? So I go says I win it and I get on the stage theatrically, of course, (laughs) because why not? Yeah. And he gets it to me, and I meet that guy's mother and his grandmother. Okay. And they hand me the thing. And then as I'm about to go out back to teach, he says, Hey, so you guys know where he got all those bandages and things? And I freeze <laughs> where I'm standing. And I go, Oh, God, don't. Not in front of them. He goes, He got hit by a bus. Oh. And the mother and grandmother, who I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of the night with, yeah. at dinner and talking to, they go, <gasps> And the rest of the day, when I'm talking to them, they're asking me, were you wearing a helmet? No. I was not wearing a helmet. So, very lucky. Yeah. Um, this thing happened. Just sheer, sheer number of ridiculous things that happened that will force you either from direct contact with the bus or flying over the handlebars because of the implication of almost being hit by the bus. I can't even tell you anymore because it's all fuzzy. Right. Um, but then spending the night with these two women who only four years later... Their son had this right accident would they he was hit head on, I think. Um, you start to go, well, this wasn't nearly as funny as I thought, but right. it, is a, it is an important thing to remember. So the jacket that I wore that day, one of the pockets almost completely ripped off. There's mm. all sorts of new wonderful tears in it. I have never sewed it back. Mm. I wear it to this day with all of the tears in it to remind myself... Of how stupid all of that was. <laughs> and I've actually booked national commercials wearing that. <laughs> so uh, it's a lucky jacket, I was. It sounds like a lucky um, jacket. Yeah. So there's, there's that. You get, to, you get to appreciate a lot when you... What you think is funny in the moment. Maybe take a, take a minute. Step right. back and think, is that really that funny? Right. Um, because I'm okay, to me it's still pretty funny. Yeah. It's a good story. But I could see how, to everyone else, this is a terrible thing. Terrible, terrible thing. Uh, whew, yeah, so that was fun. And then the last one, this is the one I will, I will leave you with. This involves <laughs> Mount Baldy. Now, for those of you who are in Southern California, you may have hiked Mount Baldy, you may have camped at Mount Baldy. For those of you who don't, it's just, it's a mountain. You can climb it, you can hike it, you can camp there. Uh, very outdoors, very nice. I go up there with the same group of friends from, from the Syracuse days. We're camping there. And, and when you're camping and sundowns are like six, what are you going to do? You drink a bunch of whiskey, you play guitar, and you, you go with your friend's dog to explore an old burnt-out power factory at the top of a hill. Every, every mountain's the same way. That's what you do. That's yeah, <laughs> what you do. So <laughs> we're going up in the dark. None of us have flashlights. We're only looking with the light of the moon, which is a beautiful moon, by the way. Well, um, so we get up there and we see this thing that had burnt down. And instead of going the way that we came, this is hours of of drinking and having fun. We go the opposite way down. Sure. And I've never been there. Right. So I'm following one of the other guys, Evan. Uh, and then all of a sudden where I'm standing, the ground starts giving way. And now I'm sliding like the silver server almost sideways down the side of Mount Baldy Uh, um in this rock slide uh, just picking up more and more speed trying to find a way to stop and i can't yeah and then this rock is jutting out like a ramp i go off said rock and now i'm completely flying through the air with my back pointed towards the ground so my legs are out my arms are out and in that moment all i thought was oh so this is how it goes huh (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right sure like, what are you going to do it's I fitting mean, i was like well this is, I, I i seem to have earned this this is post being hit by the uh, post bus incident post right uh, first two knee injuries broken arm everything i'm like well this seems fitting yeah if i'm going to go it's going to be in some spectacular way <laughs> off of so, a mountain probably like 20 fall 20 feet straight down and i land on my spine on a rock and the rock broke in half what <laughs> yeah. And for a minute, I couldn't feel anything. I bet. I I could move my head, but nothing else was responding. And I was like, oh this is worse. This is so much worse. And then you start feeling the tingling everywhere in your body. And now everything hurts. Where so I went, Thank whoever God the universe, whoever's up there laughing at me because now that i feel all the pain i'm okay right so i get up and i stretch it out like this doesn't feel great and i start walking towards where i think we're camped Mm -hmm. i walked three miles in the wrong direction (laughs) and just completely in the moonlight i all i heard from them the other guys was oh my god what happened are you okay i was like yeah i'm good I think. All right. I'll meet you back there. Yeah. So I get up and I start walking towards where I think they are. Now, impaired as we were from hours of whiskey, slinging, slugging, throwing hatchets into trees for Gary Paulson. um, (laughs) I'm walking these three miles. I pass what looks like a hibernating bear, which very well could have been. And I get to this place called Harwood Lodge. It's just a lodge in the middle of the mounds has that sign and a single street light illuminating it I take out my sony ericsson phone little brick (laughs) and I take a picture of this going. I know I went the wrong way now Um, So i'll have to show them when I get back to them where I ended up I turn around and i'm walking back the three miles now i'm on a lower part of a ridge And i'm looking up at the ridge and I see in silhouette Evan and the dog hugo leading the way (laughs) About 10 feet behind him John and then 10 feet behind him Nick all of them just shouting my name trying to find out where I am and I'm down lower so I think well this is gonna be funny so of course I run up and around the ridge behind them and just pop up right behind Nick is like who are we looking for and he goes god damn you like what happened and I try explaining what happened and then I pull out the phone I was like look this is where I end up ended up Harwood Lodge and he goes what are you talking about? I was like, "Oh, Harwood Lodge." There's a picture of Harwood Lodge. He goes, "There is only one road that comes up here. We didn't pass any place called Harwood Lodge on the way up here. So how do you end up at Harwood Lodge?" I went, "I don't know, but here's a picture." And then Evan goes, "Yeah, no, I camp I camp here all the time. There's no Harwood Lodge. I think you got kidnapped by aliens." I went, "What?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, no, it all checks out. Look, single light. This mysterious place that only you have found. It's like a mirage." Probably aliens. Are you sure you're the same person? So now he's just, and Evan can be very convincing when he gets off on these things. So now yeah. you start wondering, did I get kidnapped by aliens? <laughs> Was that bear looking thing an alien? I don't know. Uh, so we get back to the campsite and then Ashley's there and she goes, Where, what did you do? And we start telling her, it's like, "Yeah, no, checks out. You were kidnapped by aliens. So again, the next day we get up. Oh, yeah, we we go to sleep and we're all in these tents and the wind kicks up. He's like 40, 50 mile an hour winds. And we're in these tents that hmm. are getting blown over. So <laughs> oh, we're just kind gosh. of using our weight to keep these tents on the ground. Right. John's in a tent by himself and it blows over and kind of wraps him in it. So mm-hmm. we all run out to go get him out of it. Yeah. Next day, we all get up. I am very sore. And we go, yeah, let's go hiking. So now in daylight, we go hiking. We climbed a waterfall. It was great. But they, everybody's response to it was, of course that would happen to you. Yeah. It wouldn't happen to anybody else, but it would happen to you. And I went, yes, this is, this is true, which is how I know after all of these things that have happened, when the end comes for me, which could be today, could be tomorrow, could be years from now, I don't know, it's probably going to be something unspectacular. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip in the shower or, uh, I don't know, get a cold Fall down a flight of stairs. It'll be something very mundane. Just something that, and that'll be the most embarrassing thing. It's like to to cheat, to cheat death of its prize so often. Yeah. Or to somehow survive despite my best, in spite of my best efforts. Uh, it just feels like it's gonna end on a. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I've had some. I've had enough excitement. I've cheated death multiple times yeah. now. Now I'm content to be the guy who who's the old man at 31 sitting in a recliner listening to jazz <laughs> records reading books and drinking tea i've embraced this this nice. is a wonderful okay. far better way way to live rather than courting chaos yes. every step of the way but that that is that is uh, probably the greatest hits yeah of, of- innumerable injuries the silver lining to all of these wonderful things that happen, these wonderful and terrible things, is the much-needed perspective that comes from things like this. Because I can say, having done all of these things, having gone through all these things, and most of them, or at least half of them, being self-inflicted through my own wanton stupidity of youth, I have a greater appreciation for everything in life now than I ever did when we were Jameson slugging Al Swearengen fans, watching Deadwood and doing dumb things. Now, I rarely drink because it's an indifferent experience to me. And uh, I, it's just far more chill. I know, I know who I am. I know the people in my life who are there when it matters. And having a lot of bad things, really bad things happen in life, uh, not related to this stuff, you know what's important. So really prioritize what's important in your life. Think about the things that make you happy, actively happy, that Mm -hmm. you want to do as mundane as they are. Walking, planting flowers, smelling flowers, looking at clouds, reading books, listening to music, any of them. And give yourself this gift every day. If you can give yourself one point of the day where you do something for you that you absolutely love, that's a good day. That's That's a good
1: place to wrap it up, I think. Particularly because I have no stories that come anywhere near topping that, so. Uh, (laughs) um, Well, where can people find
0: you on social media? uh, Uh, You can go to my website. That's google.com. You just search for my name. Uh, I'm on Instagram under my own name. It's just Rama Valuri. Second City made me do that because they said we refuse to use this comedy joke name as your handle if you're in all of our shows. Fair enough. What was your joke name? Uh, I had a photo blog called The Traveling Lorax, where I would take this <laughs> stuffed Lorax doll that my aunt gave me for Coles when I graduated grad school, because the Lorax was like my favorite book as a kid. Oh, yes. And I took him around the country and around the world, and would take pictures of the Lorax, just him in front of like, here's kangaroos in Adelaide and things. And I linked a Tumblr account to that Instagram account, and that's all it was. Gotcha. Until I started actively performing, and then they went, "What well, are you on Instagram?" I said yeah it's the traveling lorax and <laughs> carrie ann pishnack right away went you have to i am not putting that up that is not you put it to your name you know yeah. what mine is it's pishnack <laughs> it's like that's what people should be finding you as one very well carrie Ann. you get this one she was she was right right yeah 100 exactly. right uh infrequently cool. on facebook this is like the social media things i'm often performing at the second city with a musical improv troupe called the sound of musical we do full hour-long improvised broadway musicals that we don't have any plan for we just get the title of a musical that doesn't exist from the audience and go yeah and we will break into any genre of music as the need arises and in one of the most recent shows i had a rap battle with vulcan the roman god of the forge sure as an octogenarian geologist <laughs> So these things you, you never plan yeah. for, or a pop punk musical that effectively was the story of Villy Falau and Mary Kay Letourneau. These things just happen. They just so happen. We're there. You can find the Sound of Musical on Facebook and Instagram. I'm in a comedy duo known as George and Valuri. We're an updated vaudeville group, which we don't perform live anymore because we're working on something big and secret. Cool. And uh, you, odds on, you can see me at the Pack Theater or the second city here in L.A., or uh, in your local grocery store buying Honey Roasted Peanuts.
1: They are the best. They really are. (laughs) They really are. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Shout out to Planters. (laughs) That was the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Rama for coming on. Man, that man has been through some shit. But uh, it's clear he's kind of come out the other side and, and learned some things from his reckless ways uh, though not all of those were his fault, um, boy, that's some, ain't that some shit. That's my big takeaway from the episode, boy, I'm very cultured. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, give us that five-star rating, it's much appreciated. Check out The 27 Club, it's uh, it's got a few, some good scares in it, and uh, I think it's, it's a cool movie, so check that out. Email me, Bad Times Good Stories Podcast. Email me, at Bad Times Good Stories Podcast at gmail.com. Check out badtimesgoodstoriespod.com. And until next Wednesday, keep laughing.